This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. I'm doing a thing most of the time now where I have the mic a bit to the side mm. to try and avoid some of the P sounds because I apparently, apparently, <laughs> it's, it's been making too much noise. So, and I have not yet got one of those screens yet or made one. I'm going to do that. Are you, are you going to make one? Is that what you settled on? Is it easy? It's just easier to make pop filters in, in Sweden than it is to buy them. Yeah, because they're just too freaking expensive. How like when Tom they? sent me Tom sent me this link, he's like, you can buy this for six bucks on Amazon. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, sure. Okay, shipping to Sweden is $20. And then I look in Sweden to try and find the things, and they all cost the price for many of the online stores here is at least 20 bucks, if not mm-hmm. 25 bucks. And then the shipping is like another 10 bucks. So I was like, I can't win. So I, so like the cheapest thing is actually the buy on Amazon and ship to Sweden option. It <laughs> seems ridiculous to me. They don't have like music shops? They do, but they're just, they're just expensive. Everything oh, is wow. expensive. It sucks. It's like a no natural resources kind of a thing. Like nobody is making musical instruments in Sweden. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's probably like an, it's probably an economy of scale at work. Uh-huh. Like in the US, you know, you can sell products and know, okay, we're going to sell, we're going to be able to sell a hundred thousand of these things. And Sweden has one thirtieth of the population <laughs> of the U.S. So right. for someone to go to the trouble of actually importing it for such a smaller potential buyer population, right? Just like it's just difficult. But don't you guys have like thirty times the number of death metal bands? So shouldn't that like make up for like do the death metal bands not use pop filters? I'm sure they don't. (laughs) Hey, this is Jack in Stockholm. And this is Gordon in Austin. And this is Build Phase. Uh, So what's up? Oh, not much. My daughters both have their last day of school for the year tomorrow. Here, it's typically like schools they both go to they don't even actually have a last day they have like a last morning the thing they mm. show up for in the morning and there's kind of a little sort of kind of ceremony and some people are singing songs and that, that sort of yeah. thing so that's cool so just helping them get ready and get their clothes sorted out and my younger daughter has to be sort of the MC for the thing at her school okay. and she does not want to like she did not volunteer for this does not want to do it <laughs> and the teachers didn't really tell her what to do the teacher said, "Well, you've, you've done this better than better than I do. You've been through this six times before. You stood here at the end of, at the end of the school uh-huh. and seen what everybody says." So we made her sit down and sort of write a script and print it out. And I gave her lessons in how to stand mm-hmm. and how to like to try and stretch out her her torso so she'll have some vocal strength instead of just kind of yep mumbling, hunching forward. So you just teach her like power pose, just like yeah, pretty much. It's like you got to stand like this. So with your arms. <laughs> so nice that sounds terrifying how old yeah, is she I think she's 12 that would have crushed I I would, me I, when i was 12. I, would not have, I would not have been up for that when i was 12 no i would have i would have disintegrated under the weight of that much yeah. responsibility <laughs> <laughs> right like like all she has to do is say hi welcome to the school now the second graders are going to sing a song no, like, and then and then now the fourth grade is singing a song, which like she's like, no. I can't do this. No, there's no way I would have made it out of that alive. No, me, <laughs> absolutely <either>. none. 
I still am not sure if I could do that. <laughs> like I get, I've given one talk, right? At right. NS North last year. And I basically just blacked out on stage for the whole thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, that, and that was in front of like a hundred people. So, <laughs> so like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to speak on behalf of a school or anything like that. Like right. I'm, my brother's getting married next year and I'm the best man. And, I just don't want like I'm I want to be like I'm honored but you should have someone else do basically all of this because I'm not going to be good at like I'm going to have to give the best man speech and stuff and it's just going to suck and be painful and I'm going to hate it and yeah that is tough I've only had to do that once and I just sort of like copped out with a joke yeah it was pretty good though so mm -hmm. but like I didn't give a long speech at all yeah my first friend that got married eloped and so then he just he just like went on vacation to somewhere in utah mm -hmm. lake tahoe i think and then just like showed up and was like hey i was married it's like what the hell <laughs> and then and then was like and you would have been my first man so we're gonna have a party and you have to give a speech i was like that's really screwed up dude like <laughs> <laughs> and i don't remember what i said then it was just it was something very stupid i was very young and it was bad and then did they, did they also like fill in a, a gift registry to get people to buy them presents for their non-wedding like, i think so. we would have had a wedding and if we had had these are the things we would oh, have no. wanted you to buy for it's us. Also, it's also selfish. Because <laughs> they got to do like none of the planning and none of the not like the horrible stuff about getting married and then just all of the party gift getting stuff. Right. Yeah. And then my other one of my other friends got married and had me be his best man. And again, I just didn't prepare anything for it and right. like showed up and tried copping out with a joke, but it like fell flat. It's just like not <laughs> not good at all it's just bad so third time's a charm right <laughs> i guess <laughs> anyway yeah i'm not a good public speaker i'm trying to get better at it i am trying to get better that's why i did that talk in the first place but man i can't imagine being like when i was 12 i was in a band playing drums and that's the only reason i could do it right is because i was like stuck in the back of the stage and half obscured by symbols and Tom Toms right. is just like, <laughs> yeah, this, this protective layer yeah. in front of you of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If I could have put up a screen between me and the audience, <laughs> it would have been even better. <laughs> would have been good too. Cause they wouldn't have been able to see who's playing drums horribly on stage. <laughs> an opaque wall. Right. Around the drummer. Right. Anyway. Cool. <laughs> that's so, probably that's probably not enough content for a show, huh? We should talk about something else. I, I thought we were done. <laughs> Damn. This week on Amateur Speaker Hour. <laughs> right. Uh man. Yeah, something I don't know what's going on in the world of iOS much beyond that like it's WWDC next week, so I think everyone is kind of holding their breath to see what's gonna happen. So like we could actually say things right now ridiculous guesses of what's going to happen and this show will come out during that week two weeks actually and it's funny because me and mark made this exact same joke in the episode that you haven't heard yet okay <laughs> so right, so there's that, right that episode there's, comes out yeah, next week there's right. an episode, i know it's so we had the same conversation <laughs> last week but <Okay>. like <laughs> it's very confusing because so the episode that you and mark recorded two weeks ago came out this morning right so next week is going to be the episode that me and mark recorded 
And then this one will be two weeks after. So basically anything we talk about, if we talked, we kind of have to avoid WWC because nothing we talk about, anything we talk about is going to already be either two weeks completely wrong or two weeks completely obsolete and not at all interesting. Right. Or we can just pretend that it's live. And uh-huh. We could talk about, oh man, Stuff last week, WWC, that was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, we tried that last week okay. to do it like live prediction stuff. It didn't go well. Okay, damn. Yeah. Oh, well. So just I don't play, know. Yeah, no, yeah, I don't know. I, we didn't talk much about it just because same thing, right? It's hard to know what is going to happen, but yeah, it's interesting. I think one thing that it seems to be clear is the new labeling of Mac OS X as simply Mac OS, or as I've chosen to call it macos it rhymes it rhymes with tacos just like just like watch os is not watch os it's watchos watchos rhymes with nachos mark actually posted on twitter that core os is choreos <laughs> yeah i saw that too rhymes with oreos it's pretty good i'm I down with look, that i had to look up what core os was i'd never heard of that before i still don't know what it is i just laughed at the joke and assumed right. mark was talking about something real it's some sort of linux container ah. thing cool similar maybe to docker or i don't know sure sounds like a docker ish thing one of these things i don't know what it is yeah i am actively trying to avoid having to learn docker Hmm. it seems like one of those things that you could spend a lot of time learning it and then if you don't use it and forget about it in four or five years it's going to be gone it's going to be something else instead yeah i feel like a lot of these infrastructure technologies end up being things that like okay Great, this is cool, but if I'm not going to use it now, mm-hmm. there's no reason to learn it because by the time I need to use it, it will have been supplanted by something else. Right. So just so that we're not being bad podcast hosts. So Docker is basically a container infrastructure for OS ten and Linux. I don't know if it runs on Windows, but basically it's like the idea is you boot up like a tiny virtual machine that just hosts. And tell me if I'm wrong about any of this because this is just my understanding of it. But like... That it boots up, basically, you start a little tiny virtual machine that runs your code in a sandbox. Kind I believe of. that. I believe that, too. And the idea being that it means that your production and development environments can be identical because you're running on the same environment everywhere. So Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I know that we're using it for some Haskell stuff mm-hmm. because one of the big problems with Haskell is compile times and so like when we were first deploying carnival which is the commenting system that that runs on the thoughtbot blog right the biggest problem we were having is we were pushing up code and trying to deploy to heroku and it was timing out because it took so long to compile all the code oh but what we can actually do now and the way i believe carnival is distributed now is that we are locally compiling a slug that's compatible with Heroku. So Heroku itself doesn't do any compilation. We we build in a Docker environment that is set up to be the exact same thing as what Heroku runs. Okay. And then we and then we compile the slug and then just push the slug itself so that so that Heroku just receives this slug and then runs it. Right. 
there's a lot of hand wavy stuff there. Like I don't know exactly what a slug is. All I know is that it's what Heroku compiles and runs. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you know, yeah, <laughs> that's the gist. I guess the only tech meaning of slug I've known is like a little chunk of a URL, right? For identifying right, something. Right, 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 right. So but, it yeah. seems like if you're already using the word slug for that, why use mm-hmm. something else too? Aren't there more words that we could be using? Like why did why just use that? <laughs> Couldn't they just call it like a, a compiled binary? Right, which is what I th- think it is. But Probably like is. I said, I don't. I, I really just don't understand any of this. And the interesting thing is, like you say, okay, we we compile it locally and then send them the, the compiled thing. And like, isn't this the kind of thing that the JVM was supposed to have solved twenty mm-hmm. years ago? And, Basically, and here and here we are still. Like, it's not really. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's basically like the Heroku platform becomes the JVM, right? right? So we compile down to things that run on Heroku and then just push those up. I don't know. Which, I mean, that's fine. It makes sense. It's just, it's it's interesting that kind of we, as an industry, I feel like we kind of are still sort of looping through these same problems, you know, solving it in a new way. Not that we should have, you know, not that anyone should slavishly stick to the JVM just because it exists, but like, it's just interesting. They're like, well, it's all cyclical, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, all of this is cyclical. <laughs> we move from writing C to writing Java. Hmm. And now it's like, you know, we have all these types and then that gets too crazy. And then people run away screaming to dynamically type languages like JavaScript or hmm. Ruby. Right. Hmm. And now you're seeing people moving back towards type languages or at least compiled languages, right? right. I don't want to go into Elixir too much because I talked about it a bunch on the last show, but like there are a lot of Ruby developers moving over to Elixir, right? Which is right. a compiled, compiled language. So a lot of developers are moving over or Ruby developers are moving over to that. I'm seeing a lot of our Ruby developers here also interested in Elixir, which has a very strong type system. So right. now it's strict type systems, whereas Elixir is still dynamically typed, but is compiled. Hmm. Elm is compiled and strictly typed. So, Hmm. but I'm seeing people move over there and it's kind of, it's always funny to me watching because we've been dealing with types for a very long time. You know what I mean? Like I basically have always dealt with types. Objective C was always kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is a type, but (laughs) you can... You, you tell budget. me what type this is, and I'm yeah. just going to trust you. Um, it's kind of like a lazy doctor. What do you <laughs> think this is? Right, exactly. <laughs> what do you tell me? And so, but we had some kind of type there, right? Right. And now with Swift, it's much stronger, and we have an actual type system. So it's been really interesting for me personally watching like Ruby developers kind of discover type systems through Elm, which is an incredibly strongly typed system. Hmm. And kind of seeing a lot of parallels between them and kind of seeing some of the same things that we saw in the community when Swift came out. Not confusion over maybe. I don't think internally I've seen a lot of like confusion over the maybe type, which is optional. Right. Um, But I can definitely see people kind of like poking and prodding it and kind of getting more and more comfortable with this idea of wrapping something in maybe to indicate presence. And then going back to Ruby and being like, oh, right, I don't have that now. Hmm. And now I'm just dealing with nil and the way that kind of changes design patterns. Right. So Elm is is maybe, in, is that sort of like like optional in Swift or like maybe in Haskell that it's a, 
same kind of thing where it's wrapped up to be either yeah, yeah, a thing yeah. or nothing. Yeah, maybe in Elm is the same thing as maybe in Haskell. Elm is written in Haskell, I believe. I said that before and no one has corrected me. So I believe... I you believe... Say, say it twice. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it until <laughs> someone corrects me and tells me what it's actually written in. I guess I could look it up. Hold on, let me see. GitHub Elm. Yeah. 76.4% Haskell, 20% JavaScript. That 20% scares the shit out of me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but wait, isn't that because it compiles down yeah, to JavaScript? Yeah, it compiles down to JavaScript. But so, so, yes, confirmed by me just now, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> I could have done that kind of fact-checking before the show, but that's no fun. We didn't know um, what we were going to talk about. So <laughs> right. fine. But yeah, so Elm's written in Haskell, so the maybe data type moves over directly, right? So it's the exact same thing. I think the thing that trips people up on that first is like, if you consider like, at least going from, from Objective-C to Swift, Objective-C, all the object types that you have are essentially maybe. Like right. having not maybe is the new thing in Swift. Right. Like you, that you actually know that it, this thing isn't nil. Right. Actually, there's a very, very similar thing this morning. I was waiting for the bus and reading on Twitter and a friend of mine posted, they're kind of getting into Swift and said that functions as types really feel like magic to me. And I was like, interesting, because we actually technically had that before, right? We had functions as types where functions are blocks. Like yeah. in Objective-C, like blocks have a type. And right. you can even create a specific type for it with a type def. Yep. So it was kind of surprising to me that that was what was getting him but i actually think what's actually getting to him is that block like not blocks but that closures and functions are equal right right you can, actually, you can actually define one and then pass in the other type like right. it doesn't matter yeah, if it's yeah, a function yeah. or, They're, or closure it's, i was trying to find the right word on twitter when i was posting it but like it's not not that they're equivalent in terms of like double equals right but mm. like that they're interchangeable i guess is a good word yeah an anonymous yeah. function is the same thing as a function they're both just functions and they have the same you know properties and stuff and that's where it always bites me when i go back to objective c i notice that a lot where i'm like yeah. oh right i can't just pass this thing in yeah i have to write a closure or a See, I'm going to screw up my terminology. I have to write a block that calls it directly and then worry about like mm. retain cycles or or I have to use like target action or something like that. Yeah, to me, that was one of the things that I really liked when Swift came out was the uh, just the fact that we went from having C functions and Objective-C methods and mm -hmm. blocks that are all totally distinct <laughs> from each other and totally different in terms of how they... Not only are they not interchangeable, they look totally different. They're yeah. defined totally different ways. And they have different abilities. Yeah. yeah. And and then in Swift, it's like, oh, these things are all that. They're actually the same. <laughs> right. So nice. I just yeah. love it. Like, there's something... Swift is getting better with this consistency. I have appreciated that recently that seems like it's been a focus of the core team is mm -hmm. to, like, make APIs more consistent, make behavior more consistent, like, really kind of striving for consistency. Because that's one thing that's always driven me crazy about kind of any language that I've worked in is when you run into those inconsistencies like that, like, oh, to hit this one API, I need to write a C function and C functions then are free functions and 
you know, or, right. or people write macros and then macros work different. You know what I mean? It's just like right. all this stuff. Like someone writes a macro that returns a C function pointer <laughs> to use right. as a callback. And you put that right. in a struct and oh. pass it. It's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. All that inconsistency drives me absolutely crazy. I still think that, you know, there's inconsistency, not inconsistencies inside Swift, but special casing inside Swift right. that still bugs me. But I'm kind of beyond the point where I'm willing to keep fighting those fights. Mm. Like, I don't mean that in a defeatist way. I mean that in a, like, Swift is going to be Swift, and that's all it should be. And I think it's okay for me to prefer other languages or other language features or other language design patterns over Swift while still working in Swift primarily. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think some of that pain will also go away as new frameworks appear. Mm -hmm. When Apple starts writing new frameworks that can use Swift in a more directly Swiftian way. I'm thinking about the thing where we perpetually have IB outlets that are the implicitly unwrapped optionals. Mm -hmm. And and that is only because the frameworks separate creating an instance of something like a controller from right. loading the things that it's referring to from, right. from a disk, disk somewhere. And that, you know, I guess probably the reason for that is initially performance reasons. Mm -hmm. you, know, you would want to be able to instantiate a controller object and then lazily load the actual stuff it needs later when you need it. And yeah. nowadays, who cares? Like, that's not really, right, right, right. that's not important. Well, it also comes down to one of the things about that, specifically about that, and I feel like we've, we being Mark and I forever ago, talked about this on the show, but I think the whole implicitly unwrapped optional or even just using a normal optional, the whole IB outlet thing on the surface feels like a problem that should be able to be solved by the frameworks, mm. if not the language, but the frameworks. But like, but I don't really know how. I think you would need more type information because like the big problem isn't like you can solve that thing that you're talking about right you can yeah. solve you can solve the need to lazily load you can solve that invisibly right where then it's like oh just remove the exclamation point from all of these right, right? and you're you could, good you could, you could have a framework that in conjunction with tools could you have a controller with outlets to things that are that are views of different kinds and it creates for you maybe implicitly an init method or something, or maybe you have to create an init method or whatever it is. And all those things are passed into the init method. So right. it loads it from the disk and then it initializes the controller and passes in all the things. The only catch is if you have pointers back and forth, because maybe a view is also pointing the controller as its delegate. So like one side is probably going to have to be something that is something like an implicitly, uh, implicitly unwrapped optional because you can't initialize both objects at once and have them pointing at each other at once. Like you, one has to come first. Right. But right. they could eliminate a lot of it. And, and, you know, almost all of the outlets you ever create are in a controller pointing at a view. Yeah. But then the flip side of that, and the thing that hangs me up is that unless we do lock down initialization paths, and this is why I said maybe it needs more type information. But unless it locks down initialization paths so that it can only be instantiated from a nib or a storyboard, hmm. unless we do that, then the compiler can't guarantee that those things will be there at the time of instantiation. Right. So, like, right now, like I said, the compiler could, in theory, like, Xcode knows when 
outlets are hooked up, hmm. right? Yes. You get the like little filled in dot next to them inside the gunner. So like, it's not too much of a stretch to say like, okay, well, you know, then the compiler should be able to know that as well. Except for that, then every one of those view controllers still just has an empty init method, hmm. right? But that it has inherited all the way down from NS object. True. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's reasonable to say like, okay, well, you can't instantiate view controllers non, or you can't instantiate them programmatically anymore. Mm. So this is where I think that, and I can't believe I might just suggest a subclass, but but maybe like maybe it needs to be a subclass or like a parallel class to UI view controller and family or mm. like an annotation or something. But you basically need to have some way to lock down the class to say, like, this is a thing that's only able to be instantiated through you as the developer need to be able to say, like, this is a thing and I'm okay that it's only going to be instantiated through storyboard or the nib or whatever. Or it could also be a thing where despite having this inherited empty init method with no arguments... That it could be that if you're running in this mode where you're saying, okay, this this controller class has a bunch of things that must be a part of the init. And if you call the normal init without those things, you'll get a runtime error. Just like now, in the rare or weird cases where you, well, like if you force unwrap an optional that act, turns out to actually be nil, mm-hmm. you know, your program's going to crash. It would be, it would be one, one of those. And it's the kind of thing that you would... I mean, if that happens, you're going to catch it during development, presumably. That Oh, right, I can't... Oh, you're saying just fatal error. Yeah, just fatal error. If, if, yeah, exactly. I mean, and you then, can get there right now, right? By overriding init all the initializers on your... Except for init with code. Well, you have to override init with coder. But like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you can get there now by overriding all the initializers that are that are declared from UI view controller or table view controller or whatever, all the way up. Right. You can override all of those and then just have all of them do fatal error and still use implicitly your unwrapped optionals inside. The problem gets to be that really the compiler needs to be able to do these things. I don't actually want the compiler introducing potential runtime crashes. I want mm-hmm. I want the compiler to ensure that as few runtime crashes happen as possible, and then I as the developer want to make those runtime crashes explicit. Right. Well, how about this? What if future UI view controller does not inherit from NS object? I'm Maybe down. it implements this NS object protocol so it can do a lot of the stuff it does, but like so it doesn't inherit the legacy of having an empty init method. It's well, just got its own isn't that on i'm not trying to split hairs here but like because i i get what you're saying and i'm down with i'm down with the idea of like breaking ns object to me has always felt weird because it's a massive thing really mm-hmm. right it's just yeah, it like a lot, this, it does a lot of stuff it does a lot and we're already we're comfortable now with with creating structs that have none of that or classes with none of that in swift yeah, even that, I mean, even that yeah. in swift yeah so i like that i feel like i'm about to jump on a tangent but like so i'm done with that but i think that all those initializers including empty init are declared on ns object protocol they yeah maybe so yeah i'm not sure so but maybe, maybe that could be move. yeah i don't know but I'm, I'm down with breaking but that's why i'm saying like maybe they can make another protocol that is a lot of the stuff in ns object you know mm-hmm. make a new, a new protocol called root stuff 
<laughs> yeah. That and its object protocol also inherits from and adds a few other things. And like that could be stuff that things that are necessary to be an object in the Cocoa environment and, and still be able to behave like an object. So if you want to stick it into an NS array, it's going to work. You can it can be retained and that kind of thing. Right, right, right. But it wouldn't have any of the initialization properties of NS object. Maybe what this thing would define is an init method that takes some sort of decoder type of object. And then your init method looks like, okay, decoder, grab this property and set it to this, or grab mm -hmm. this thing and set it to this property. And maybe the thing it grabs, maybe Interface Builder could, could create a struct on the fly based on the outlets you create. You have mm -hmm. a struct that it creates for you that is like not even editable code. It's mm -hmm. just like a thing. Obviously, it would be created somewhere in your project, probably, and compiled, but it would be sort of as something you're not really meant to edit and can change in the fly. And therefore, but but it has like a struct. So you don't have to sort of pull string-based keys out of something. You just say, mm -hmm. okay, I want to instantiate this property with decoder.foo. And that mm -hmm. is the, the pointer to some other object in your nib. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something like that. I mean, the, there are ways that this could be done. Yeah. And for all we know, we may be talking about what our was released know, a is, week ago at this WWDC. Is so frustrating. <laughs> I keep thinking about that because, like, like I have all these stupid ideas in my head of like things that I want, and I have to keep, like, I, I want to talk about them, but <laughs> like one thing that Mark and I have talked about, I don't think on the show, but just like you know, in general conversation, mm -hmm. one thing that we talked about was like that you could theoretically see a future where UI view controller, for example is not a superclass anymore and mm -hmm. is now just a protocol that you conform to and it has a bunch of default implementation mm -hmm. you know with a protocol extension like if this was all done in swift you could see that like that could right. work ui table view controller could definitely work you know what yeah. i mean like maybe it still inherits from ui view controller but ui table view controller mm -hmm. like default implementations for all of those super subclasses or the callbacks and stuff right you could definitely do that in a, I think. <laughs> I yeah, don't know I think, everything think, in UI view controller, but, but you probably could. Yeah, I that's my that's my hunch as well. Yeah. One thing that I'm thinking about also with, with all this stuff is if they're going to sort of rearrange things and give us new hierarchies and stuff. I become more interested in like composition over inheritance and and mm -hmm. like component based architectures. And mm -hmm. in this gameplay kit from last year, they introduced this uh, entity component system, which is. It's declared in gameplay kit, but it does not have to have anything to do with games whatsoever. Like mm -hmm. you have objects that are that are entities, and you have objects that are components, and you can attach a number of components to an entity, but to mm -hmm. extend its behavior. And this is it, it's a lot like uh, I don't know if you've ever done anything in Unity 3D, but it's a lot like mm -hmm. the the way that works. Like in Unity 3D, you had this this graph of game objects in your world. And the code you write in Unity 3D is almost always you write code that are essentially scripts that are become an instance of this thing called mono behavior. And you can attach those to objects. So I've got an object in my world that is a car and I can attach components to it. Like here's a component that knows how to take user input and steer the car or mm. steer the object it's attached to, right? And mm. here's a component that knows how to notice the ground this thing is rolling over and do something if it rolls over something particular. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. So you're basically talking about like the it built in object graph along with I don't know transformers. Like you have an object graph, and then you can attach components to those objects, 
anywhere you want, anywhere, wherever it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So kind of like, you know, we have, we have delegates and we have things mm-hmm. that are observing stuff happening and you can say, okay, well, I want this thing now to be the thing that observes what happens on the screen. Say you've got like a hierarchy of view controllers. Mm-hmm. It would kind of let you choose which of those things you want to be observing or be the delegate of mm. which things happening on screen, that kind of thing. I mean, mm. I'm not sure how this would map to something like UI, like UIKit exactly, but is it almost like a dependency injection framework? Not really. It's more like it lets you take, like you can define a a component or a, a behavior, as they're called in Unity, mm-hmm. and Ideally, you make that thing fairly self-contained and make something that doesn't rely on a lot of externalities. So if I make a component, again, say it's in a game like in Unity, a component that that knows how to rotate the object it's attached to to point mm-hmm. at something in the world, mm-hmm. like say to point at the player, right. then I can put that component on anything. I can put it on an eyeball or on a building or on a tower or on a monkey and whatever I attach to, it will point at the player in the world as the player goes around. Got it. So it's really just a like highly protocol oriented programming kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Sort of. So like, like you, you have like an object rotator yeah. that takes an object. <laughs> yep. And object is some abstract interface. Right. And in the case of unity 3d, all of the objects are, like all the objects, they have some basic properties. Like they have a transform which describes where they are in the world, and they have right. the kind of references. And then there there are some like components that are standardized. So every object can have a component that is a that is a renderer or is, mm-hmm. is a mesh and that sort of things. And those you can get to just by a simple property access. But any other component that is of your own making, you can get to just by asking, "Hey, give me a. Does this object have a component of this type? If so, give it to me." Mm-hmm. So that sort of thing, I think, could be could be interesting applied to regular GUI apps in some way. But I don't really. I obviously I've not built this. <laughs> but seeing as Apple is clearly thinking along those lines, having included this entity component architecture in Gameplay Kit, right? Could be. Yeah, that sounds neat. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I kind of don't. It's. It's weird and i i don't want to talk about wwc too much but like i kind of don't know what i want i think right from apple at this point i think everyone kind of agrees that ui kit is starting to feel a bit kind of stale and bloated definitely bloated. and and like a a clean sweep would be good in a way and i and we, i talked with the type of this with mark a couple weeks also that in a way, I could I could really envision a new GUI framework that would could exist alongside of mm-hmm. UIKit on iOS and alongside of AppKit on macOS. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, macOS, <laughs> and that would you know then there would be a transitionary period where say, okay, this is the new thing, and it wouldn't be identical because you have different different right. inputs and different outputs to some extent, but it would it would have some commonalities, and then there would be some platform specifics for each thing, just like right. You know, just like right now, you can on iOS, you can call APIs that will say, "Hey, does this device have a camera? Mm-hmm. If so, I can do this. Does this device have a potentiometer? You know, have GPS or whatever? It'd be the same right. thing. You could you'd have APIs that does this device have a touchscreen? Does this device have a mouse? Like how does you know and right. be able to deal with it that way? Right. So I could definitely see them going that way, and mm-hmm. and I, and I think that sometime they will, but I you know who knows when. 
Yeah, that'd be nice. UI kit, and I kind of touched on this a little bit in the last episode, but UI kit is like this constant source of frustration for me where like something about it has never completely clicked. Like something about the way UI kit thinks mm. has never completely clicked. And because of that, because of the way UI kit does work, you actually need to understand how it works. I feel like you need to understand UI kit fairly intimately in order to navigate or work efficiently in UI yeah. kit. You know what I mean? Like, there are so many things in terms of like order of operations or which callback gets called when or at what point in the view lifecycle or specific things set up and on what under what circumstances is that not the case? Right. You know? Yeah, it's so involved and there's so much that can happen in different ways depending on how you set it up. And this is why things like, well, it's part of why things like React Native right. kind of terrify me because it's like okay wait yeah sure i can whip something up but what then like when i need right, to extend right. this because that's right. you know I, okay i've made something very simple that i can show a client that kind of does something then they'll say oh but wait but also i want this right. table view cell to do this thing this particular when you drag something over it or whatever and how do you extend that in when you're using something one of these tools right it does not seem reasonable because you're often getting the things that are really hairy just doing it, trying to do it native. Like you say, you have to understand so much of how these things are are done. Like what's the right way? What's the right time for things to happen? Right. That is such a constant frustration for me mm. that is just, it's constant imposter syndrome for mm. me. Like constantly. You know what I mean? Like it's, a, it's like every time I'm doing any non-trivial UI work, it's right. just like a nonstop barrage of just like, I'm an idiot. (laughs) I'm so dumb. Like this is obvious to everybody except for me. And I'm horrible at my job. Like it's just nonstop. And like, that's so frustrating that I absolutely see the appeal of just kind of like throwing up your hands and just being like, okay, like, like, let me go use react native instead. Where the very least it's more straight for, I don't, I don't know anything about react native and I'm not about to go. No. Learn JavaScript for the sole intent of writing React Native projects. But there is an appeal there to alternative UI patterns, right? And alternative Mm. UI level frameworks where even if they are less powerful, right? Because the bottom line is UIKit is insanely powerful. Like the stuff that UIKit lets us do very, very easily is bonkers, you know? Auto layout is insanely powerful. Yeah. The animation engine, core animation and stuff is just insanely powerful. The fact that to animate something across a screen is as easy as changing a constant and then inside of a closure just saying like set needs layout or layout right. if needed. Moves like, this thing. What? <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> There's so much math involved there. Like yeah. how does that happen? And the number of things that constantly surprised me about I'm going like, oh, I need to animate this. Like, what happens if I just throw it in an animation block? It's like, oh. oh <laughs> like, literally just, just I, I'm just going to set it inside this animation block and let's see what happens. It's like, yeah, no, that's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> right. Thank you. Like, <laughs> that's incredible. You know? That power is really impressive, but it's also, it can be really off-putting. And it yeah. can be, it's a huge, for me, it's like an off-putting part of my job. 
right? And for people coming into the platform that maybe already have these feelings because of the overall size of the number of frameworks, you know what I mean? Like Hmm. we're just talking about this one framework, right? But how many frameworks are involved in day-to-day life building iOS apps? There's just numerous third party and first party just like, and it's such a deep, 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 deep API that people coming into the platform are already probably going to have a little bit of imposter syndrome about like not knowing specific things. Then you throw UIKit and the amount of times you have to deal with UIKit. And like, so like on our client project right now, there's a guy who knows UIKit incredibly well. And it's Mm -hmm. an amazing resource because he's easily one of the, the, has one of the most intimate knowledges of UIKit of anyone that I've ever ever met in my entire life. Yeah. And he just, he kind of like just gets how it works and, and will say things, but he'll do in code review and say like, oh, you need to like flip the order of these things. Hmm. Right. And so people on the project are just like, how the hell am I supposed to know that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I don't understand. These look exactly the same. Like nothing functionally seems like it's changed. It's like, you talk to him about it. He's like, well, yeah, no, functionally they're the same. But really, if you go under the, you know, if you were to peel away the covers, like what's actually happening is X, Y, and Z. And so if you put these things in this order, then it, it can lead to these random problems down the road. But if you put mm-hmm. them in this order, then we shouldn't run it. It's just like, that sucks. <laughs> like, that just sucks. <laughs> so to not ask. obvious. No. And it, and it just, it sucks to ask someone to know that in order to avoid making those mistakes. Like mm. it just really, really sucks. I think. Right. I don't know. On my current project or my last project, I just wrapped up today. Like there was a bunch of stuff in there that was, I was doing custom collection view layouts and a lot of custom collection view cells with special things like, like shadows and uh, masking paths to cut out the shape of around an image and stuff. And like, it got pretty hairy and like looking at the code, it all works, but like I had to sort of do a lot of hacking around or not even really hacking around. It's, it's just what was required to do. Like there's a lot of details involved in doing things just to match what a designer did in sketch. Like, so, you know, a designer works for three or four hours and makes this thing in sketch of how he wants to look. I look at right. it and I'm like, yeah, sure. I can do that. I can mask that shape of that cell to make it sort of angular and I can make a shadow on the whole thing. Fine. But in reality, okay, making that mask means I've got to figure out that, you know, I've got to have a path, have <laughs> one layer that is masking its content to that path, have another layer behind it that use that same path to define a shadow. Mm-hmm. So the shadow is the same shape outside because you can't mask the shadow because then the right. shadow disappears. So it's like adds all this complexity onto things that when you look at it, think that that looks reasonable. But then once you get in, it's like, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of things in there that it, it turned out really well and I'm really happy with it. But some at some point there, like just some of the stuff was taking a long time. Yep. And I was doing some weird things like transitioning between different collection view layouts with these cells that were transitioning state from from one sort of size to another size and all these paths again the the, the masking mm-hmm. path and shadow path animating all those things together while this is and like it all works and but it feels like it's just like you know spit and chewing gum and string yeah, holding exactly. it together it's like yeah. and, and, and i could not like I hope I don't have to go in and try and change it again ever because I'd have to relearn all the stuff I did to, yes. to make it work. Yeah. And there's so many little pieces, so many moving parts. 
that's the main thing with me and UI, any UI level code is it just feels fragile and mm. it just feels, it's always like the part of the app that I kind of like put together and I'm like squinting at it. And I'm like, I think, I think this seems reasonable and like, I don't know, I guess. And then I run it and it does what I want. And then I'm like, cool, commit, never touch it. Like, don't, don't <laughs> mess with this. Don't blow on it too hard. Don't do anything around right. it. You know, like just <laughs> leave it alone because it works the way I want it. And let it be. You know. And I, I hate that feeling. I absolutely yeah. hate that feeling. I much prefer working on a system where I can say, like, write a test. And I can say, it should do this. And then I just write code until that test passes and says, like, yes, it does that. And it's like, cool, awesome. And I'm not worried about breaking it. Because if I did, then the test will fail. It's right. like, you can't, you're not going to write tests you're going to tell yourself no. you're going to write useful UI level tests and then you're going to try and you're going to fail and it's going to be bad. And right. <laughs> there's no test for animation and there's, you can do like screenshot tests of your UI, but those are insanely fragile and they're only just going to break every time you update design at all. It's right. It's not worth your time. Yep. So frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. This is one of these, I mean, this is one of these areas where, testing kind of falls apart especially like test first <laughs> like writing your tests and then trying to implement it it's like wait right 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 right, right. but that's but this is this is i don't know if i've talked about this before but it's this gets down to like where i've talked about you need to have boundaries for your tests mm -hmm. you need to be okay having parts of your app that aren't going to be tested and you need to not beat yourself up over that right so like the line that i've always drawn that's worked well is is at the ui level hmm. anything that's a ui level concern i'm not going to test it you know hmm. and specifically that's not an excuse for not testing code it's supposed to be a prompt for you to move testable code out of your ui level and into right. something that can be tested but if something is in Specifically logic. If there's logic in UI level code, it needs to have a good reason to be there. Right. And stuff like animations is a good reason to be there. You yeah. could start pulling out probably objects, right? That mm. basically work like f transform functions. I remember I, I helped uh, Damien in New York with something like that. He was There was something he was working on last fall. He was testing what would happen if you were... If you were swiping something up and down, or something, maybe it was scrolling something up and down, and like that, a a navigation bar was going to drop down or not, or change color mm -hmm. or something. And I gave him some tips on how to test, like how to say, say, okay, you can split this out into a function that you know takes these certain values, and it ends up being this kind of this refactoring thing. You say, okay, what I can split right. this part, and then say, well, actually, well, actually, it needs to have this thing also. It's got to have the y position of that plus some other thing, and. And it ended up with something that looked like, yeah, this works and you can plug in values and see that it actually gets what you want. But my feeling after after I did all that and showed it to him was that like, okay, this this works, but it, it's the same thing you described. It's going to be extremely fragile. Yeah. Like if the designer changes their, changes their mind about how it's supposed to work, well, then we've refactored this whole, all this logic into something that is just totally now useless. Right. Because now we're just going to redo, you know, throw that all away and do something else entirely. Mm -hmm. When we could have just, you know, run run the app and scroll up and down and see does that look right or not? Right, right. And at that point, like the the logic involved was basically just you know it's mostly some addition and subtraction. 
You know, mm-hmm. is this thing greater than that plus that? Right. If right, so, do right. this. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I kind of agree with you there. I know that our, you know, within ThoughtBot, most of our developers are web developers and are trying to test everything as much as they can. But then I also know that, you know, we have, we have a number of projects that are, that are reliant on a lot of JavaScript frameworks, things in Ember and whatever else. And they do test, but like they're still not going to do screenshot tests and they're still, right. I don't think, doing animation tests. You know, right. they will do automated UI level like acceptance testing, which I still think we should do. And like if there's one, mm. you know, my hope would be that by the time this airs, we have some nicer tools around automation testing because I don't think the UI mm. level stuff that was announced last year cuts it for mm. reasons that I think we've gone into but i I also it's this show's run along and i don't want to get into a rant around ui level testing but my hope would be that we have some better tools to start filling these holes because the goal is isn't 100 test coverage that's insane right and unsustainable yeah but the goal would be to cover as many of these holes as possible and i'm okay losing like leaving animations and intricate ui level interactions inter- mm. intricate ui interactions I'm, I'm okay leaving those out if it means that we cover more and more of the holes in our testing yep agreed anyway should we wrap up i've been going for a while yep. here show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 96 uh, we'd love to hear from you, so if you want to reach out, you can email us at hosts at buildphase.fm or on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are appreciated. All right, man. All right. Talk to you later. Yep. See you. See ya.